Welcome back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and I hope that you all are doing so well. I know it's a long time, no talk. I'm so sorry. I've been so busy <laughs> with work, and it's been amazing, and I am trying so hard to get content out to you guys still that's good quality. So I've got Anya working with me. I mean, she's a lifesaver, truly, making sure that we bring you guys the best episodes possible when we are able to. And as I said before, hopefully that'll be a little more frequently coming up in the next few months. But for now, it's on a kind of bi-weekly basis. So as always, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss when an episode is available. Because right now, Lord knows when they're available. <laughs> it's kind of all over the place. So make sure you're subscribed. So we have a good episode for you today. I'm pretty excited about it. It's a highly requested episode. Like since the beginning of the start of the podcast, I have been asked to do this one for a very long time and just haven't done it yet. So I'm excited for it. Excited to bring it to you. But first, let's start with our In the News segment. Big news story of the past seven days. According to The Messenger, new data released by Gallup has 90% of people approved of JFK's presidency, while only 8% disapproved. His approval rating has increased four points since Gallup's last poll, and he is officially the most popular former president, according to this research. Very interesting. Another brand new awesome story is Robert F. Kennedy's granddaughter, Sarah, marries on the family compound with Kennedy heirlooms. This is via People, and you should definitely go check out this article because they have exclusive photos. And one of the most interesting things to me was that they got to use the loving cups, aka the champagne flutes that were present at Sarah's grandparents, Bobby and Ethel Kennedy's wedding in 1954. So very neat. Uh, their wedding took place all over the compound at the RFK home, looks like in the lawn of the main home, the JFK home, all over the place. So go check it out. And congratulations to the newlyweds. Now for today's recommendation segment. Of course, then we would uh, recommend it. This week, I'm going to recommend the book JFK in Ireland by Ryan Tuberty. Check the link in the description of this episode to get your own copy. And for our inspiring clip of the week. One of the inspiring notes. Here's a clip of JFK's address before Irish Parliament. And no nation large or small can be indifferent to the fate of others, near or far. Modern economics, weapons, and communications have made us realize more than ever that we are one human family, and this one planet is our home. The world is large, John Boyle O'Reilly wrote. The world is large when it's weary leagues, two loving hearts divide, but the world is small when your enemy is loose on the other side. The world is smaller today, though the enemy of John Boyle O'Reilly is no longer a hostile power. Indeed, across the gulfs and barriers that now divide us, we must remember that there are no permanent enemies. Hostility today is a fact, but it is not a ruling law. The supreme reality of our time is our indivisibility as children of God and the common vulnerability of this planet. All right, so today we're going to be talking about the Kennedy's Irish heritage, which is fascinating. So our sources today are JFK Library, Irish Central, Ancestry, British Heritage, Waterford Visitor Center, ABC News, Marion Street, Irish Echo, Irish Post, The Independent, and that's it. So let's get started. JFK was one of 23 U.S. presidents whose ancestry can be traced back to Ireland. 
In fact, his Irish ancestry is particularly strong, with Ireland being the birthplace of all eight of his great-grandparents. Think about that for a second. It's pretty awesome. The Kennedys are most strongly tied to County Limerick, though they also have connections in Eclair, Cork, Fermanagh, and Wexford, which Wexford always makes me think of the name that Jackie gave their little retreat that they rented in Middleburg. So, neat little connection there. So the Fitzgerald family hailed from County Limerick, and Thomas Fitzgerald and his wife, Rose Ann Cox, were forced to migrate to the U.S. in order to escape poverty during the Great Hunger. They settled in Boston, where their son, John Francis Fitzgerald, was born in 1863. Now, John, who's better known as Honey Fitz, went on to marry Mary Josephine Hannon, who was also the child of Irish immigrants. Then we have Rose Elizabeth Fitzgerald, who was the daughter of Honey Fitz and Mary Hannon, and she, of course, married Joseph Patrick Kennedy in 1914. And Kennedy also claimed strong connections to Ireland. In 1849, Patrick Kennedy, who had fled Ireland during the potato famine, which caused the deaths of one million people in Ireland, married Bridget Murphy, a fellow immigrant from County Wexford. And then their son, Patrick Joseph Kennedy, married Mary Augusta Hickey, the daughter of Irish immigrants James Hickey and Margaret Field. Together, they had four children, including Rose's husband and JFK's father, Joe. So if you need a repeat of all those names, just back up about one minute and re-listen to it to try to get all those names straight because they can kind of go together. Another recommendation is The First Kennedys by Neil Thompson, which covers all of that and great, great book. I'll put the link in the description of this episode. I've also spoken to him before about his book. So if you have not listened to that episode, then go back and listen to it. The surname Kennedy is an anglicized form of the Gaelic name, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce this properly, so I'm, I actually have it pulled up so that you guys can hear the proper pronunciation. So listen. Oh, Kennedy's a- So Kennedy is a form of that, meaning helmet head. As Irish Catholic immigrants, both the Kennedys and the Fitzgeralds were subjected to discrimination from the WASP community. At the time of their move, Irish immigrants were forced to live in a segregated section of Boston. However, this did not prevent either Patrick Kennedy or Honey Fitz from pursuing successful political careers, with Kennedy becoming a representative and state senator in Massachusetts and then Fitzgerald serving as mayor of Boston. The Bible, which was used during JFK's inauguration, was the Fitzgerald family Bible, which was brought over to the U.S. by the president's great-grandfather, Thomas. I always think that's really interesting to see what Bible the presidents use or... I don't know. I thought that was neat. So there's a little tidbit for you. In June of 1963, during his 10-day tour of Europe, JFK became the first U.S. president to visit Ireland while in office. Now, this was the first time he visited since 1955, though he had visited in 1947 and also 1945 when he interviewed then-Tasia Eamon de Valera. The very first U.S. president to visit Ireland was Ulysses S. Grant, but he did so two years after his presidency had ended and before Ireland had secured independence. In 1963, JFK spent four days in Ireland visiting Dublin, Cork, Galway, Limerick, New Ross, and Wexford Town, accompanied by his sisters, Eunice and Jean. He undertook a series of official engagements, meeting public officials and delivering speeches. In fact, he was the first foreign head of state to deliver a speech to the Irish Parliament. However, he also found time to sit down for tea and cake with extended family members. When uh, my great-grandfather left here to become a uh, cooper in East Boston. He carried uh, nothing with him except two things, a strong religious faith and a strong uh, desire for liberty. And I'm glad to say 
And I'm glad to say that all of his great-grandchildren have valued that inheritance. If he hadn't left, I'd be working over at the Albatross Company. (laughs) Or perhaps for John D. Kelly. In, in any case, we are happy uh, to be back here. About uh, 50 uh, years ago, an Irishman from New Ross uh, traveled down to Washington with his family. And in order to tell his neighbors how well he was doing, he had his picture taken in front of the White House and said, uh, this is our summer home. Uh, uh, come and see us. Well, it's our home also in the winter. And I hope you will come and see us. Thank you. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. The Irish made very clear their affection for Kennedy during his visit. Huge crowds greeted him as he traveled across the country, with quarter of a million people turning out to see him in total. Eamon de Valera, the president of Ireland, referred to JFK as a distinguished son of our race. He was awarded the freedom of the cities of Galloway, Cork, Limerick, and Dublin, and he was awarded two honorary degrees in Dublin. He was also presented with a number of gifts during his visit to Ireland. These include a Waterford Crystal pedestal vase, which was offered by the New Ross Harbor Commissioners, and the set of 36 Carrick-Macross lace napkins, which were presented to the president by Sean Lemass, the Prime Minister of Ireland. Also, a little story time about a gift that I just got from the Kennedy area in Ireland. My friend Haley, which I talk about a lot on the podcast because she's one of my favorite people. Shout out, Haley. She just got back from, well, I say just, it was semi-recently, from a trip to Ireland where they visited the Kennedy homestead and all the things with the association. And she brought me back a Kennedy whiskey tasting glass, which is the coolest thing ever and so thoughtful. So I'll post a picture of it on my Instagram story so that you guys can see it. And it's still one of my favorite gifts I've ever gotten. So thanks again, Haley. Now back to it. So JFK referred to Ireland as the land for which I hold the greatest affection during his remarks in Limerick. And he said that his trip marked the best four days of his life. He pledged to come back in the springtime at the end of his visit, but of course, the tragic events of November 1963 prevented this from happening. If uh, the day was clear enough, and if you went down to the bay, and you looked uh, west, and your sight was good enough, you, you, you would see Boston, Massachusetts. And if you did, you'd see down working on the docks there, some Doherty's and Flaherty's and Ryan's and cousins of yours who have uh, gone to Boston and made good. I wonder if you could uh, perhaps uh, let me know how many of you here 
have a uh, relative in America who you'd admit to if you'd hold up your hand. You send us home covered uh, with gifts, which we can barely carry, but most of all, most of all, you send us home with the more warmest memories of you and of your country. So I must say that uh, though other days may not be so bright as we look towards the future, that the brightest days will continue to be those in which we visited you here in Ireland. If you ever come... If you ever come to America, come to uh, Washington, and I <laughs> tell them if they wonder who you are at the gate that you come from Galway, <laughs> the word will be out, and when you do, it will be case Mila Falche, which means in Gaelic, 100,000 welcomes. The 50th anniversary of President Kennedy's visit to Ireland was marked with the lighting of the immigrant flame with a spark from the eternal flame by the Tasia and members of the Kennedy family, including Caroline Kennedy and Jack Schlossberg. The National Library also created a multimedia exhibit displaying photographs and archival footage from his televised visit. The John F. Kennedy Arboretum, a park which has a visitor center that boasts a JFK exhibit, was rededicated and then finally a wreath was laid for the president. JFK's Irish heritage was recognized during his funeral, too. Danny Boy, a folk song set to the tune of the Irish traditional song London Dairy Air, was playing. Additionally, upon Jackie's request, a group of 30 Irish Defense Force cadets from County Kildare performed a silent drill and placed the eternal flame at his graveside. Eamon de Valera was in attendance, representing Kennedy's ancestral home. In June of 1967, Jackie visited Ireland with Caroline, John Jr., and the Murray McDonalds, all of whom stayed at Woodstown House in County Waterford for the majority of their trip. Here's a clip of them arriving at Shannon Airport. I'm just happy to be here in the land my husband loved so much with his children. And for them, I think it's a little bit like coming home. And I hope we will come back again and again. Thank you. During their visit, which she described as being a bit like coming home, she attended the Irish Sweeps Derby, visiting the Kennedy Homestead, attended a state banquet held in her honor in Dublin Castle, and reunited with Eamon de Valera. The trip was not entirely smooth sailing, though, because Jackie almost actually drowned and had to be saved by a Secret Service agent. So, fascinating story. Look it up. Not going to put it all in here, but that did happen. The Kennedy family has maintained political links with Ireland ever since JFK's presidency. For example, Jean Kennedy Smith served as U.S. ambassador to Ireland between 1993 and 1998, and both Jean and Ted were pivotal in bringing peace to Northern Ireland through their roles in Good Friday Agreement talks. Joe Kennedy III, which is Bobby Kennedy's grandson, is currently serving as U.S. Special Envoy to Northern Ireland. We've talked about that before. Also, very interestingly, pictures of JFK are commonly found in Irish households, and they are displayed in most Irish pubs. So that is the episode for today. I hope you learned something new. If there's more that you want me to learn that I did not cover in this, then please send me a DM on Instagram at Kennedy Dynasty. Make sure you're following along with my journey there anyway. But send me a DM of any extra facts or something cool um, that you want me to learn as well. I hope you guys have a great week. Make sure that you check out my merch shop. I will put a link to my favorite sweatshirt in the description of this episode. 
Again, make sure you're subscribed. If you like the podcast, please write a positive written review and rate it five stars. That helps me so much. It's like tipping your waiter. It's very kind to podcasters that you enjoy. So please do that. That's all I got. And I will talk to you guys soon. Come on and vote for Kennedy. Vote for Kennedy. Keep America strong. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939 when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st.